Why could the blind man not see his friends? Because he was married. <laughs> now, um, when, when moving from one status to the next, say single to marriage, uh, we tend to think that it's, a, it's all at once and, and everything from before was, is just done and left and gone and, and there's this ideal of, of it's all of this. But we recognize, and, and again, um, my wife's right there, um, it's a joke um, because none of us really makes that leap fully, or sh- nor should we in any area of life, be that relationship and certainly relationship with God. See, one of the, the great mistakes that we could make is we have this all or nothing mentality where we think, okay, I've, I've, I've trusted God, I've, I've um, made him my Lord, and now it's got to be this otherworldly, everything that was me before and the world just disappears, boop, and, and now I'm this completely different person. And, well, yes, that's true in the eternal, in what God has done. That, that the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. But that is a discovery process that the heavenly inward working of God worked out in the details, in the dust, in the, in the, in the details of our life. And, and it's through that process that reality happens. Because it's only in reality that that, that, that can happen at all. And so to the extent that we have this, this idea of all that was me and intertwined in that, that just has to go away and I have to force th- this different way of being, we miss out on God, we miss out on what he's doing and the world around, uh, around us misses out on, on a mirror that's grounded in reality. It, it's this virtual, this, this hologram self that, that doesn't really work. Um, I read a story um, uh, about this girl named Julie, who uh, had grown up as a believer. She was really excited uh, to go off to college. And freshman year, she's going into the dorms. And, uh, and she said, wow, this is going to be a great opportunity where I'm, I'm living with a total stranger, don't know this person, but I can show this girl what it is to, to follow God. And so uh, that she was there and on her best behavior and smiles. And yeah, how's it going? This is great. And she shared about her faith. And I follow God and this is what it means. Well, her roommate was going through some hard times. Her, her, her boyfriend had, had left her, been unfaithful back, back home, her high school sweetheart. And, and this roommate was distraught. And so Julie was there to comfort her and to be there and to show the love and grace. But what Julie didn't share, what she didn't feel she could share, was that her boyfriend had broken up with her as well. But she couldn't show weakness. She couldn't show that, well, because I have God, I can't hurt. I can't, you know, that's, that's, that's worldly. That, that's this, this boyfriend. I, I've got God. So she had a brave face. And, and she said, oh, no, 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 that's fine. It, it doesn't, doesn't affect me because I have the love of Jesus. He's going to be more of a husband to me than this boyfriend And you know, quoted scripture. Throughout the year, whenever there was a hit, whenever something didn't go as planned, uh, whenever there was a disappointment, Julie just cried alone, got her makeup together, inside and outside, composed herself, and then would show this is what a Christian looks like to her roommate. She was always happy. She was always up. She was always serving, um, always volunteering, and, and there. And, and so she thought she was doing the very best job she could as witnessing, but she noticed her roommate was asking less questions, was spending less time with her. It didn't seem to make sense because she was such a good witness. 
Well, she went home on spring break, and, and, and was, it was good to see her family. She returned home, and the resident director there was to meet her at the door. And she said, I, I have some horrible news. Your, your roommate took her life over spring break. And, and, and Julie couldn't believe it. And she said, how, how could this be? I, I've, I, I prayed for her. I, I showed her God. I, I didn't show any weakness. I, I just showed what it was to have a, a joyous, spirit-filled, victorious life. What, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? Was, was there a moment of weakness? Did she hear me crying? And she's tormenting herself with these thoughts. Well, she, uh, she went and she found that there was a, a note under her pillow. And it was written by her roommate. And she said, I tried to follow God as you did, but I just couldn't. That I, I couldn't not cry. I couldn't not feel. I couldn't not uh, be strong, not uh, be weak all the time. And I saw you, you had it all together. You had all the answers. Nothing seemed to affect you. It's like you were living above this earth. And the more I tried to reach up to where you were, the further I fell, the worse I felt. I couldn't measure up. I couldn't catch up. I couldn't keep up. So I stopped trying. You see, there's only one witness that God has left in this world, and it's a real one. We're not to be the sun. We're to be the moon. The sun generates its own light. The moon doesn't. And God never asks us to generate our own light. God only asks us to be in the right orientation where we could most perfectly reflect the light to all those around. And that takes an awful lot of pressure off of us. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have it all together. I am painfully, woefully weak. I walk with a limp. Maybe that others could catch up. And I'm okay with that now. Name of this is Adobe Illustrator. Psalm 103 says that God knows our frame. We are but dust. He knows that we're dirt. He knows that we're frail. But he, like Adobe, mud and, and spit, mud and water, he does great sculpting work in our lives. With the very Adobe, with the very mud, with, with the, the refuse of our life that we would want to clean off of us, he's busy sculpting something so very different that others would see a real person. You see, the only way faith is made, is fleshed out in our life, is incarnation. Jesus is God with skin on And he asks us to be, if you will, God with sin still on, in process. That what is not us, God gets the credit for. That we live the same lives as everyone else does. Jesus said, in this world you will have many troubles. That's a promise we can stand on and take to the bank. Amen? We will have problems, we will have persecution, we will have heartache, we will have brokenness, we will have wasting disease. Those around us will leave, our faculties within us will leave. And that's a promise. But that's not the end of the story. It's the surpassing work that God is doing in us. And so taking the same hits, living in the same bodies and the same families, with the same jobs and the same frailties, what difference does faith make? How does God best illustrate his beauty, his glory, in the very things that we would tend to hide from? How does anyone know whether it's Jesus or just ourselves. Because we can fake it for a while. And if we just congregate once a week, we can fake it pretty well. How are you? Fine. I'm fine. But God doesn't meet us in the fine. He meets us in the real. 
And that is a wonderful, comforting, beautiful thing. I'm going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the, the, the church at Corinth is, is much like me and much like you. We're jacked up. We've got problems. We are so good in some areas and missing it in other areas. We, we have things that others aren't getting so well, but some of the more simple things not in place. God shoots his movie out of frame, and he certainly did with the Corinthian church, and he certainly does with our lives. But how did God show his love through Paul, through others in the church? This was a church that cost Paul blood, sweat, and tears. This is the, one of the final letters that Paul wrote. He, he, there was four letters going back and forth. We, we have two of them. And, um, and it's the in-between letters where Paul says, you guys hurt me so much. I love you so much. And, and being with you has cost me so much. But you know what? It's worth it and I do it all over again because this is how God builds my heart and your heart. There are no shortcuts. There's no end around. And so we're going to cut to the chase uh, looking at the first verse making real relationships real. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, the ministry of showing God to others, of being the moon, of reflecting his light, not our own, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The assumption is the image is there. The glory is there. It's right in front of everyone. There's more going on. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. The face of Christ who looks into our hearts, who sees all, has taken care of all of it and beckons us homeward through this trail of tears, through the fragility of this life. There's a message here for believers and for unbelievers, and this is just sort of setting up the foundation, so I won't, won't spend too much time. For believers, as I said, it sets out that life is difficult. That we, when we come to the Lord, we're not suddenly, you know, we come to Jesus and all of a sudden stand on this circle and it's like, whoop, and there's a hermetically sealed chamber that just goes over us and we get airtight and vacuum packed. And, you know, in case of emergency, break glass, but we're just kind of held in stasis until heaven and nothing can get to us. Yeah, sling all the mud you want. That doesn't happen. In fact, when we come to Christ, we notice there's a target on us. We notice that our soul is going against the grain of this world, that we're picking up hits that we wouldn't. We notice that we're discovering the cost that God has borne all along more and more as we're willing to buy into the value he places in us. So life is difficult. I, how quickly I can get upset with God when things don't go my way or, or God's not answering prayers the way I think he should or working in somebody else's life or usually my life because I, I can see it. But God told us this is where he does his work. There's only one place, and it's in a real person. Second thing, besides life in Christ being difficult, is that it's easy to take shortcuts in presenting him. It's easy to continue to justify ourselves. 
That I want to do that, not just because I want to stay hidden, not just because I, if you knew the real me, maybe you'd run away, but because from a good motive as well, those are bad motives, I, I want to present the Christ that is perfect. But again, as has been said, God doesn't need to be defended. He's like a lion. Just open up the cage. Okay? Just put him on display. And so I don't have to be an apologist for God and explain everything and stand in the gap and always be the smartest person in the room and have to have an answer for God. I can simply say, this is God being lived out in the midst of the questions we both don't know. It's very easy in presenting our Christianity to hide our true selves, to bend things, to, you know, we have the double standard. In psychology, they call it the user bias, and it's a sense of, Oh, man, I got to get on the freeway. I can't believe I was daydreaming and I missed my exit. Here, I'll just, I'll just ease in here. I'll just ease in right into the 280 on-ramp. But somebody else does that when you've been waiting in the on-ramp for 10 minutes and you're late to work. I mean, it's lock and load time, right? But it's the same thing. You see, I know my motives. I know I'm a good person. I know I always let people in. And so it's okay just this one time for me to get in because I know me. But other people... Judge, jury, executioner. And, and that's just, that's, that's the human nature. And so it's really easy for me um, to hide my true self or to believe that God has a double standard. Often in my case, I flip it the other way around. God can forgive that, but not this. God can love that, but not this. God can use that, but not this. And it's easy to do and to hide because the, the echo chamber and the stories that we tell ourselves until they're exposed, till other people can speak into it, or God through other people, it stays the same. The antidote, as, as we see, is very, very simple. Us being real people before those who don't know God, so that they can see. So that God gets credit where, where I can. I'm not that good, really. It's, it's, uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm not that good. What God has done through me, what God has done in me, He gets the credit. His strength rather than my weakness. His wisdom rather than my foolishness. His love and compassion rather than my self-serving love. And that is beautiful and that's eternal and that's lasting and that's nothing that, that I can diminish. I can just try to veil it sometimes. This is a terrible example, but I can think of no more poignant one. Children of divorce. Um, often uh, with, with parents going two different ways. Uh, parents are involved in the kid's life. They're, they're, it can be contentious. It can be good. But over time, over time, over time, as the kids grow, they know the one who's really there for them. Beyond the talk, beyond the promises, be, beyond the, the what you can give and buy it away or whatever, beyond the guilt tax, the ones who are truly there in the ways that matter, they know. And so it is with witness. Despite the talk, despite the promises, despite the guilt tax, those around us know when a real person shows up, when a real person is available, and that's how they see the light of Christ. There's a message for those who don't now believe. Perishing. See, we're, we're not made to live this way. We're not made to live separated from our maker, disconnected from our life source, disconnected from the one who gives everything that we need, who has our best interest, who knows us beginning to end inside and out and loves us without question. God made us in his image relationally, you know, the Trinity, his image. We need that fellowship. We need that connection. And when we decided to do it our own way, 
much like Sinatra. You know, I did it my way. You know, each of us cars our own path to hell. Uh, when we decided to do it our own way for our protection, there was a wall, there was a disconnect. We were not made to live separated from our maker. And so there is a perishing that happens across life. Yes, physically, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally as well. That is a reality. The antidote, again, us being real people before those who don't know God so that they can see where faith makes a difference. Let's do an aside at camera three over here. How many people think either today or during any time I've been preaching, I've been preaching at you, or I've been singling you out, or I single out a group, or I single out a type at church? Does anybody feel that way? You probably should, because it probably seems that way. I, I don't know how many times I've woken up Monday night going, oh, did I say that? Um, yes, Bill, yes, you did. Remember that, give an account for every careless word. Oh, wait, sorry, we're at camera three still. Um, I'd, I'd be terrible on TV. The sermon that you get is version seven or eight. Because the first few sermons that I write are about me and about my issues and what I see in my echo chamber and my mirrors. And it's through repenting. It's through filtering. It's through getting rid of all of this that finally the version that you get is me simply preaching to me. Now, there's good news because I'm so messed up, there is plenty of stuff that anybody's going to be able to relate to and connect to in some way. And by doing that and filtering to where it can be, this is what I can see, this is what I can be responsible for, the Holy Spirit is able to guide and direct that accordingly without me goaltending and trying to do things in my wisdom and strength. And there is a freedom and there is a grace in that. Cut to the chase. But we have this treasure. He'd just been talking about the gospel, the life-changing, transforming gospel that gives hope to the hopeless, that, that gives life to those who are perishing, to the dead. This amazing work of God, this person who loves us. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, grieving, but not undone. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. One of the things I've been, been, been harping on is that life is life and God is God. What happens in life is not God, it's life. Life is fallen, life is broken. And God's amazing rescue mission is that he is all in. Texas Hold'em, he is all in emotionally, relationally. His honor, his future, his glory, everything is staked upon being all in in our lives. But he only meets us in the midst of life because that is where we exist right now. Life is fallen and broken, as are we. But God redeems us within the tensions of this life. Not the way we want it to be, not the way we think it should be, not the way we think others need to see Christ, but he redeems us within the very tensions 
that we would run away from. He prepares us within the crucible of this life. And he uses us graciously, gloriously, and powerfully in the hurts, in the disappointments that everyone deals with that we also would want to run away from, but where we are most real and most present in the moment. Again, living the same lives as others, but with a different faith, hope, and love. And so the question I ask myself, and the question that that I think we should all ask ourselves is this. As we walk with God, as we meet him where we're broken, as we meet him in the victories and in the defeats and the details and and the grand plans and what is unknown and, and, and what can be known in every area where we engage God, Am I more Christ-like today than I was yesterday? Probably not. Am I more Christ-like today than last week? Am I more Christ-like today than I was last month, last year? That is what God is doing. Am I more forgiving? Am I more free from bondage? Am I more free in myself? Am I more zealous of God Can I forgive like God forgives? Can I love like God loves? Can I be as open-handed as God has been with me? And here's the crazy thing. Our family, our friends, our classmates, our coworkers, our neighbors already know the answer to that question. Do we? Paul, not unlike me, can get very convoluted because he gets excited talking about God. He gets excited talking about big picture stuff. And I've used the term, he's like a freebasing weasel. He's got the attention span where he's like, God is so good. And then it's grace. Oh, and then there's forgiveness. And then there's love. And then I was like this. And then God's doing this. Oh, wait, the Psalms. And then we're over here. And, and, and so you're trying to follow him and trying to make, what are you actually saying to us, Paul? Bill. Paul. Amen? All right. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in, so you're on your own. Anyway, point is, I have not found a better paraphrase of this that brings it home. Everyone around us knows the answer to that question. That's not where we wind up, that's where we begin. So with that thought in mind, I'm going to read this. Eugene Peterson paraphrased this. It is a paraphrase, but I cannot paraphrase it any better. So 2 Corinthians 4. Since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks or play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes, and we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. The whole truth on display so that those who want to see and judge for themselves in the presence of God can If our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because these other people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want and that they won't have to bother believing a truth they can't see. They're stone blind to the day spring brightness of the message that shines with Christ, who gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ the Master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. 
It started when God said, light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright, all beautiful. If you only look at us, you might well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much chance of that. You know yourselves that we're not much to look at. Amen. That we've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do. But we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in on the best. I'm going to close, and I mean it this time, with the, an analogy of another clay pot. There was a gardener in India, and uh, his master had a garden way, way away from the river. And every morning he would go down and he'd fill up a clay pot with water. And he'd carry it back. And he noticed he was sloshing and spilling stuff. And there wasn't a lot of water left. So he got the idea. He got a stick and he got two pots to balance it. And so he'd dip one in, he'd dip another one in. And then he could go back and carry twice as much water to water the master's plants. Well, one of the pots was, was just was the one he'd been using and not lifting properly, and it had all sorts of cracks in it, and it leaked. Okay, this is an analogy. It's an allegory. I'm not going crazy. Um, so the pots would talk to one another along the way, and, and the pot that had all the water would say, man, the, the gardener loves me. Look at me. I don't spill a single drop. Everything he puts in me, I keep. It's all there. And the pot that's cracked and broken is just like, I'm trying to keep it together. I'm trying to keep water in. But it kept leaking and leaking and leaking. And by the time they got to the, um, the master's garden, the, empty pot, the clay pot was, with cracks was empty. And the other pot, pot was full. And he only used that pot to water. And they'd walk back. Incidentally, because the water was going out, he was really buff on one side and not the other, and he walked in circles, but that, that's just physics. So anyway, and this went on day after day, month after month, and, and the, the broken pot just got more demoralized, just couldn't see what was going on. So finally one day, because the pot's going, wait, we can talk to each other, why don't I talk to the gardener? And the clay pot says, Master, what are you doing? Why not just get another pot? Why not, why use me? Because... I haven't been able to bring a single drop of water to to water the master's garden. And it's just humiliating. Every day, everything you pour in me, it just leaks out. I try to keep it in there and nothing happens. So the gardener says, I want you to look down next time we go to the master's house. And so when the broken clay pot was looking down, he saw all of these amazing flowers that hadn't been there before. And the master said, look, I knew you were cracked. I knew you were broken. And so I planted flower seeds all along the way. Okay, the master's plants, those are his plants and I need to water them. But I could grow so many more plants, so many more seeds, so many more things because of you, because you didn't hold it in and because it leaked. And guess what? There's plenty more water because I keep filling it up. I'm a crackpot for Jesus. And that's okay. Because I leak, right? And the beautiful thing in the kingdom of God, there's always room for more crackpots.
because we will leak and God continuously fills us with his spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you, I worship you, I love you that you do beyond the amazing in our lives. When we look at our frailty, we look at our faults, we look at how we compare to others and weary of trying to measure up, you see something completely different. You see the purposes for which you have us. You see how you can work in unmistakable ways, not in spite of our weaknesses, but precisely because of our weaknesses. Where you display yourself and you put the reality of a changing life on display. How we could do far beyond what we could ever ask or hope or think because we've entrusted our cracks, we've trusted our, entrusted our frailty to you, Lord. Father, when we do want to hold in, when we do want to fix it up, when we do want to duct tape our lives because we feel we have this standard or this expectation, Lord, help us to see the wildflowers. Help us to see the lives that are being watered. Help us to see, Father, again, beyond our limitations to what you could do and you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Help us to see, Father, we're unique. We're necessary. We'll be missed. Because there is only one real God, and he only loves one real person. And that you continue to do what you have always done. You reach sinners through sinners. You reach the broken through the broken. You reach the loveless through the loveless. You came to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to declare the favorable year of the Lord. And I pray, Father, as your life flows out, as you continue to refill us, Father, we would know the joyous cry of our master. Well done, good and faithful servant. We thank you, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Could the deacons and elders please come up here? Deacons and elders and Maria, join your husband, please. As you know, this is their last Sunday here, and um, uh, we're going through, as a church, a uh, difficult situation. They're going through, as as pastors, a a difficult situation, and we want to send them off with not only reception, but with prayers. Um, And we will pray for them today, but I trust that as God lays them on your heart, you will continue to pray for them um, for the next who knows how long. Um, But we just wanted to spend this time uh, in asking God's blessing upon their lives. So I've asked one um, elder and one deacon. Who's the deacon that's praying? Yes, I knew it was you. Uh, if you guys just come by here and just lay your hands on them. And Lord, we praise you and thank you today. It's a sad and bittersweet day, but we want to acknowledge right away from the very beginning that you are Lord of the church and you are Lord over your under shepherds here that have served you faithfully for the last six years. You are the great shepherd of the sheep, and we know that you will guide them as they journey out into the next season of their lives. We trust you and we praise you, God, for all that you have done in our midst, 
and we look forward to what you will do as we go forward. We acknowledge, God, that you are sovereign, that you have seen this day from the very beginning, that even as Bill and Mario came to us six years ago, you knew that that season would end today and that you had this and this was all part of your plan. We confess, God, we don't understand your plan. Some of us are very sad and we're broken up over the apparent failure of your plan, but it is not a failure, God. Your plan has not failed, neither in their lives nor in our lives. So we praise you for your sovereign power, and we commit ourselves and we commit these servants of yours to your grace as they go forward. For the victories that they, as we look back over the last six years, for the victories that is that they have experienced and that we have experienced through them, let Bill and Maria rejoice with joy unspeakable even as Peter exhorted us to rejoice with joy unspeakable over the faith that you have given them. For the things that were not understood or for the areas of apparent defeat, we pray for understanding in their own hearts. Or if that understanding does not come, we pray that you will give them grace to seal those things up in a book as the angel told Daniel that the things would be revealed either in time or at the end of time. Give them grace to seal up those things that are not understood. As they go into the new season in their lives, and they will face challenges and obstacles, much as the the children of Israel faced as they went into Canaan. Let them have the spirit of Joshua and Caleb in their own hearts, that they will see the giants and the obstacles and the uh, challenges before them, and let them confess that they will be bred that they will see this as things that will feed and nourish their spirits and not be discouraged, particularly for their children, Lord. We pray for Katya, for Will, for Emma, a particular special grace as they face the challenges. It's going to be harder for them because they're yet growing in faith. So, God, we pray for a special blessing and anointing upon them and a protection. Put up a shield and a wall of protection around each one of them, God, that they would not be uh, uh, give in to uh, any bitterness, Lord, that the enemy would try to, to, to foist upon them. Protect them from the enemy and, and strengthen them against the weakness of the flesh. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, that they would be strong and blessed and be great witnesses for you, God, enduring things that some of us may not be able to endure because of your spirit, Lord, they can do that. And so, God, we pray, as Paul prayed in the end, that you will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, Bill and Mari, that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened to know the, the hope of your calling and the riches of your inheritance in their lives and the greatness of your power according to the resurrection of Christ in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Heavenly Father, first of all, we want to thank you for bringing these two special people here to Bethel, Lord. Lord, we had waited so long, and you brought them, Lord, and they were an answer, Lord, to you, to our looking to you, Lord, to bring us people who would want to minister in this city, Lord. Lord, I thank you for these friends of mine, Lord, for they become my friends over these six years. And Lord, yes, I'm sad at their departure. But Lord, we look forward 
We look forward to you to bless them, Lord. To bless them in a ministry, Lord, where all their gifts will be released by the Holy Spirit, that they will enjoy the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord, in a special and powerful way. Lord, that they will not have to move, Lord, when they finally move, that they will be able to stay, Lord, for a number of years and not have to endure the moving that they've endured here. Lord, we love them. We know you love them. And we know you're going to go before them, Lord. Ahead of them, Lord. And you're going to use them. And Lord, we pray that what they've learned working with us, Lord, that they can put to use, Lord, in working with others for the furtherance of your kingdom. So, Lord, we entrust them into your mighty grace. We thank you for the privilege that we've had of ministering alongside them. And we send them with God's speed and God's blessings in every fashion, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before you join with them downstairs at the reception, um, I'd ask, like to ask the prayer counselors um, to come forward. Um, some of you may have prayers needs. You may have prayers for people that are in your life that need to uh, be prayed for. And I would invite you to come and pray with these prayer counselors um, before you leave. Also, if you're relatively new to our church and would like to know more about our church, Uh, We will have some people meeting with you over there. We call that the living room. Uh, And uh, you can ask questions about involvement or about the ministries of our church. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you um, love us, that you love this congregation. We thank you that we're part of your body. And that there are times that we don't understand, but that uh, we have to, by faith, just um, commit them to you. And Lord, as we all go out into our lives, into this world, I pray that uh, we would recognize that we are just um, jars of of clay. And I just pray that you would help us not to be unwilling to leak upon those around us. Father, I thank you for that message, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would drill it into our hearts. And go with us now and uh, to the reception and to um, living out our life in our world this week. I pray your blessing upon each person that's in this congregation. May they be assured of your presence with them. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray these things.